0: and response radio, WBAI in New York. The preceding program investigations is brought to you live with portions on recording. The time is 1.01 a.m. Our next schedule of the program Hidden Primary (laughs) I keep thinking hidden resources right? Uh, with Peter Wilson we will be with you in just a moment. Please stand by. Thank you.
1: Did you know that there are more than 60,000 New Yorkers without a permanent home and that nearly half of those are children? Maybe you've wondered what you can do about it. Now there's a radio program that will help you get involved in the fight for housing justice. Tune in to the Listener's Action on Homelessness and Housing every Friday evening at 8 o'clock here on WBAI. Find out why New York's homeless population is growing by 50% every year. Find out why there are more than 100,000 vacant apartments in city-owned buildings. And most important, find out what you can do. Because there is no listener's action without you. Call us at 316-7544. That's area code 212-316-7544 and get involved and join us every Friday evening at 8 o'clock here on Listener Supported WBAI.
2: Peter Lamborn Wilson, and the show is called uh, Hidden Resources, or Primary Sources, or Radio Ground Zero, or we've had several suggestions here in the past few minutes. No, it's really Primary Sources, and it's usually uh, James I say, but it's me instead, Peter Lamborn Wilson. If you weren't with us, I don't know, whenever it was, a week or two ago when I played the long tape from James, too bad, because I'm not going to tell you any, anything about it you have to wait till he gets back to hear about all his wonderful adventures. Uh, Tonight, I will eventually get around to talking, as promised all summer, about chaos theory, quantum mechanics, and Sufism. But before we get into that, so stick around, right? Don't miss it. But before we get into that, we'll do my usual thing, which I inherited from James, actually, the mailbag, which, uh, as you know, here is very zine-oriented because that's what I get in the mail. I get a lot of zines in the mail. One example we have here. This is a new one. This is the first issue. It's uh, meant to be a national anarchist newsletter, a continental newsletter for the anarchist movement. Right, not national, obviously, because anarchists are anti-nationalist. It's called May Day. And that's exactly what it is. It's just news from around Canada and America mostly. It came out of the uh, big anarchist gathering in Minnesota and uh, future issues may be bigger and uh, um, denser in various ways, but it's already a very worthwhile project. And if you're interested in keeping up with that news side of the movement, write to may Day, care of Denise Unora, U-N-O-R-A, At uh, 1459 West Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R, Chicago, Illinois, 60640. I have a couple other zines here. We'll get to them in due time. But while I'm on the subject of anarchy, I should mention that the tomorrow night at the Anarchist Switchboard, Bad News Magazine presents an evening of ranting poetry with Dave Huberman, Nick Tazek. I hope I pronounced that right, Bob Z, and others. Um, The Anarchist switchboard is a little tiny hole in the ground on East 9th Street at 324 East 9th Street. You'll probably have to walk up and down the block several times before you find it. But um, I I have a feeling this this one will be good. I'm into ranting myself, so um, that's why I thought I would uh, share that with you already I should announce even though it's still pretty far off again on the subject of anarchy the Halloween weekend is getting to be a anarchic tradition in New York that is to say it's been going for two years that makes it a tradition by anarchist standards and we're, we're, it's going to be tried again this year again the anarchist switchboard at 324 East 9th Street are the people to get in touch with if you're interested in being in on the planning of Halloween the uh, Halloween Anarchist Halloween in New York and you could give them a ring at 475-8312. I hope that you all get your pencils out at the beginning of each of these shows because I have so many good things to tell you about that you have to write away for. That You should be taking notes. Uh, One thing you don't have to write away for is my favorite literary magazine. It's in fact the only literary magazine that I ever read. It's called The Exquisite Corpse, it's uh, edited by Andrei Kodrescu, who's a fine poet in his own right, and a a splendid chap. And um, you can see this on the newsstand in any serious bookstore, and you'll notice it because it's a tall, thin, white uh, publication, shaped unlike any other thing which is uh, for sale in the bookstore. In fact, it's shaped like one of the old uh, exquisite corpses that the Surrealists used to make, if you know what that is, where you fold up the piece of paper and everybody draws part of the drawing or writes part of the poem without knowing what the other people are up to. Remember that, Exquisite Corpse? That's the concept. It's a very entertaining magazine, and like I say, I myself don't like literary journals, and uh, this is the only one I make an exception because it's always full of um, interesting and exciting things. A lot of the people who appeared in Semitext USA also appear from time to time in Exquisite Corpse, which shows you that it's like a different crew than you get from the usual pretentious literary quarterly. And um, so I advise you to get it at your bookstore or to write away f- uh, for it to Andre. Um, you don't have to write to him by name, just write to Exquisite Corpse, English Department, Louisiana State University, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70803. It makes great, su- makes great subway reading. You can carry, carry it around with you all week on the subway. and Little poems, little book reviews. I like it. It's very entertaining. Let's see. I did have another. Somebody just sent me a zine in the mail here. So I don't know what it's about, but uh, they say that they, the person says that they've heard us talk about zines. And um, so they're sending me one of theirs, which I very much appreciate. This one is called Oikos, I guess that's how it'd be pronounced, O-I-K-O-S, a journal of ecology and community. And the editor, I presume it's the editor, yes, says, I hope you, uh, I hope the, uh, what is it? I hope the um, numerous minor glitches endear it to you. (laughs) All right, I'm already fond of it. It's uh, the address in case you're willing to take it sight unseen since I'm not reviewing it here, but only mentioning it. Oikos, O-I-K-O-S, 55 Magnolia Avenue, Denville, D-E-N-V-I-L-L-E, New Jersey 078, Three, four, and we're in favor of anything from New Jersey around here. We're New Jersey boosters. That's the editorial we. I don't know how you guys feel about it. That means me. Um, okay, we don't read that letter. Here's somebody who still can't find my book Angels. Well, that's really a scandal. I don't know. I give up. Sorry, if uh, Thames and Hudson can't help you, then I can't help you. They're the publisher. Um, I really don't know where to get hold of it anymore. I mean, I have a few copies and you're welcome to to, uh, meet me at the station sometime and I'll show it to you. That's the best I can offer. Now, here's a nice letter from someone calling themselves the Church of the Hirsute Bivalve Mollusk, the Erica Jong Cabal. Sounds very uh, subgenial, doesn't it? Um, they, it says, I'm a new, uh, new listener to BAI. It was always there, but was somehow connected to wombats in my mind. You know, I think we're dealing with, with one of our people here, right? one of the night people. As such, I have never heard James Ursay, so I can't say you're doing a wonderful job filling in for him, but I can say that you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you very much. Well, enough specious flattery, he says. As you can see, I have the great good luck to work for a free-thinking organization with a Xerox machine. Free-thinking equals ignorant of the fact, the poor thing. All day it it, uh, belches out corporate flatulence, but at night, midnight to 8 a.m., it undergoes a strange and wonderful transformation. See, I knew this was a night person. It produces art, especially in the hours after your show when it is used to create things from this stationery from this stationary, to uh, overdeveloped body parts. Don't ask. I am thinking of starting a zine. I haven't the foggiest idea of how. Simply help. Perhaps you can devote a portion of a future show to a few basics. Well, it's really very easy. All you have to do is just do it, right? You just, uh, I mean, everybody, you you already know, you already have a Xerox machine. Believe me, that's about 60% of the battle, free Xerox. Sydney has
0: something to add here. Uh, many years ago, as I intimated many times in the year, I was involved in uh, the small press. <laughs> Publishing movement, um, we christened the micropress publishing movement, which I suppose, which is becomes a zine world. All mm-hmm. um, oh, that's sort of my phrase. Yeah, zine world. Zine world. I don't yeah. know. I don't think anybody really we have. never picked up a micropress. It was something that happened in the late. There's 70s. no label for this yeah.
2: yet because it isn't institutionalized. It Thank isn't, God, it
0: isn't pinned to the wall and formaldehyde mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And with luck, mm-hmm. never will be. We hope. Uh, very simply, uh, as Peter said, you have the means of production <laughs> in your hands. Yes. Yes. Freedom of the press belongs to the guy who owns that owns press. the press. Right? Right. You those doors lock to what, to you what has a key. <laughs> uh, all you have to do, if you have some artistic sense, or even no artistic sense, because it'll come to you, uh, is just lay something out and keep working at it. Right. Uh, this sounds simplistic. And it may seem simplistic, but it's not. It'll come to you. Mm-hmm. And then sense.
2: aside from that, there's only the question of distribution. Right. And in other words, you, you want to get it to the people that you think will be interested in it. Now. I would suggest the best way to go about this is to get hold of a copy of, of the magazine which I mention every time in this connection, Fact Sheet 5, The Zine of Zines, which gives uh, hundreds and hundreds of reviews of everybody else who's doing this kind of thing. Send away, get one of those, and then right away to the, read the reviews, figure out which ones sound most up your line, send away to these people, find out which ones you like, you'll get further mailing lists from them, and then uh, you'll have your audience ready-made. I mean, basically you don't you don't want to make more than 50 or 100 of, of number one anyway, and it's very easy to find 50 people out there who are doing something pretty close to you, who will like it, that you'll get in contact with, and after all, as I've said again, over and over and over again, the whole point of this is to be in contact, not to be a producer
0: vis-a-vis other consumers. And further, there are the endless manner of Production, uh, ways of folding the paper, uh, the kind of paper, texture of paper, shape of paper. This yes, I think you about. just come to when you're. Yeah, and the the content you must have. Whatever your dream is, your vision is. You transport it somehow to paper and share it around. And the rest is simply. The manufacture and the creation. The best thing about self-publishing is that you're doing exactly what
2: you want. You're not working for the man, exactly. you're, you're not expecting to make a profit, you're not going into it uh, as a business so that you have to compromise with some kind of market values, uh, you're not you're not subject to any censorship in this country. Well, mm-hmm. that's not entirely no, true, mm-hmm. that's not entirely
0: true. But sure can, well. It's, let's say, virtually true. For many years I was waiting for someone to start publishing something specifically that I wanted to see and it wasn't happening. So one day, I began to publish it Mm -hmm. on my own. And the reader and listeners can do the same, but you have access to now so many people who work or don't work, have access to uh, tabletop, literally tabletop publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the reasons why
2: I don't do a zine of my own, but uh, usually participate in other people's zines, is because since I don't work in an office, I don't have that uh, that good old free Xerox. I mean, this is the, the, one of the secret of the zine world is how many people are doing night jobs in offices these days, in my opinion. <laughs> but I'm I'm not one of them. So you know, that's my problem. That's. Uh, Yeah, I know plenty of people who are doing it, but they're producing their own zines. You know, what is this? Oh, this, this, this—I can't tell what this is. I started to read this. This this looks like a letter to do with the uh, um, Antarctic Convention, warning us about some problem to do with uh, the dangers of unified field theory. Green. This is too interesting. I have to read this. Warning, warning, please see Office of Naval Research uh, on the subject of Philadelphia Experiment before embarking on experiments of which you know not. Messrs. Moore and Berlitz, oh, isn't that the Bermuda Triangle fellow, Berlitz? Provide clues, though scant. Dr. Jessup is gone now. Please note, in October, 1943, naval ship disappears in Philadelphia to appear in Norfolk to reappear back in Philadelphia. The men of the Eldridge return as shadows. Some were caught in green mists. others say they met beings in other dimensions, most went insane. Others later died, caught in flow, deep freeze, go blank, get stuck. One walked through wall in front of wife and child. In all probability, it was von Neumann who proposed the invisibility project in late 39 or early 40, care of National Defense Research Committee. Einstein himself was privy. Warning, your gravity well may be of similar design, i.e. deployment of intensified magnetic resonance. B-field Brown effects, Brown's grator and stress in dielectrics. Magnetic oscillations causing neuronal damage due to diatheric effect. Electromagnetic oversplash may cause dire consequences. Okay, I think we get the idea. As far as I'm concerned, sir, I don't care. It sounds
0: like just added fun. If I may, the only thing the general public knows about the Philadelphia experiment was that it was an attempt uh, to defeat radar at that time. Oh, you mean there really was such there a phil- was, There was a Philadelphian ex- experiment in being a world buff. It was uh, mm-hmm. a, a primitive electronic attempt to defeat... Uh, not through astral projection? No, uh, not to my knowledge, but mm-hmm. who knows? Yes,
2: of course. And it failed. Right. Okay. Well, we'll take your warnings into consideration, sir. But basically, I have one, madam. I didn't get to the end of the letter, so I don't know. But uh, basically, I would say we're a courageous bunch and we're willing to take risks. So we'll be out there despite the danger. Right, gang? Here's another letter who said that they heard the show in their car when oh, we were interviewing uh, Robert Anton Wilson and they want to know about um, more about the brain machines. Yeah, I should have, I, sh- I may have mentioned that after the Robert Anton Wilson interview, we got about three million phone calls here asking about where to find out more about the brain machines. And so um, I should tell you what we, what uh, Bob said to tell you, which is that there is a book called Mega Brain. I finally saw a copy of it tonight, but I have not yet acquired it myself. It costs three ninety-five, and it's and It's they say it's everywhere, and I, it's, the author is named Hutchison. I'm not exactly sure how to spell that, but Mega Brain is the book. It's apparently it's a it's a mass market paperback. You can find it anywhere, and it has everything that you want to know. Well, so much for the mailbag. Oh, yeah, right. So much for the mailbag. Um, before I get move on into uh, chaos and quantum, I'd like to. I remembered that I had also promised to tell you something about the Moorish Orthodox Church. Um, I've mentioned three different zines now produced by different branches of the Moorish Orthodox Church. Uh, James and I are both uh, have. Uh, been associated with and had knowledge of this church for many, many years, and uh, I thought that uh, I should share it with uh, the listeners to this show. Um, it's not a church which seeks publicity, in the usual sense of the word, although it's not a church which is adverse to converts, and in fact, um, as you'll find out as I read, read this uh, brief, well not too brief, but anyway, reasonably brief um, history of the church, in the last two years, it's had quite a revival. Um, and I think the, the way to introduce you to it, most easily, is to just read you parts of the Church uh, History and Catechism of the Moorish Orthodox Church of America, second edition. Uh, I, won't, I don't think I'll read the whole thing, but I'll see, I'll see, see how much we can get of it. It begins with a quotation from the founder of the church, Noble Drew Ali. The fallen sons and daughters of the Asiatic nation of North America need to learn to love instead of hate and to know of their higher self and lower self. Every man need to worship under his own vine and fig tree. There's also a quotation from Jalaluddin Rumi. A morning breeze trails musk behind it, perfumes from the street where my love is. Yes, and the world wastes. As you sleep, the caravan is leaving. The sweet smell is dying. Arise. Moorish Orthodoxy is not a new religion. Historically, it began with the message of the American prophet, noble Drew Ali, born Timothy Drew in South Carolina in 1886, raised by Cherokee Indians and adopted into that tribe at 16, Drew began his wanderings as a circus magician, which took him to Egypt. I see, let me interrupt myself to say that, I see that it doesn't, I, uh, this does not mention the mo- probably the most salient fact here, which is that, that uh, Timothy Drew was a black man, the son of, of slaves. Uh, at 16 he began his wanderings as a circus magician which took him to Egypt where he received self-knowledge and direction from a priest, the last of a cult of high magic practiced for centuries in the Pyramid of Cheops. This magus recognized the young American as a reincarnation of a former leader of the cult and saw him for the prophet he was. From him, Drew Ali learned the messages of the Circle 7 Koran, the holy book of the Church, as well as much higher truths. He returned to America, where he was told in a dream to found a new religion, quote, for the uplifting of fallen mankind. He began the first mosque, or temple, in Newark, uh, Newark, New Jersey, but because, uh, I think in 1916, if I'm not mistaken, but because he and his followers refused to fight in World War One, he was forced to move to Chicago, where his movement, the Moorish Science Temple, began to grow. That's M-O-O-R-I-S-H, Moorish. The Moorish Science Temple attracted mostly black Americans. Noble Drew, however, was no racist, though he held certain racial theories. Blacks, he said, are Moabites or Moors, and under this identity he taught pride to a race of oppressed sufferers. Moors are an Asiatic race, but so are many others. For example, Noble Drew identified Celts as an Asiatic race. Later, when whites of various sorts became interested in Moorish science, he identified all such as Persians, a sort of spiritual rather than factual identity. For Moorish Americans, Morocco is a promised land. This shows the influence of Garveyite return teachings and provides an interesting link between Moorish science and Rastafarianism. Moorish orthodoxy, despite its name, gives all these teachings an esoteric significance. For us, the Asiatic nation of North America includes all who embrace some form of the Oriental wisdom, whatever their other affinities or uh, affiliations, and Morocco signifies their goal, illuminated consciousness. In Chicago, Noble Drew issued many Moorish passports And it is said that some new converts, in the zeal of their newfound nationality, began to grow less and less subservient in their dealings with the oppressor empire, Pharaoh or Babylon, as you might say. This culminated in a full-scale police attack on the Science Temple in Chicago, in which, despite the secret escape route, an essential feature of all Moorish Science Temples, Many of the faithful were martyred, including the enforcer of the law, a man whom Noble Drew had recognized as a reincarnation of Jesus. Shortly thereafter, in 1935, Noble Drew prophesied the hour of his death. He was taken for questioning by the Chicago police and brutally beaten and died soon after his release. After this, the Moorish Science Temple began to split into sects or factions one headed by Noble Drew's son, another by his chauffeur, another by Elijah Muhammad, who hid his Moorish science origins and taught a pseudo-science of race hatred, disguised as the Nation of Islam. Until Elijah's death, many Moors still expected him to recant. In the 1950s, in the Baltimore D.C. area, some white poets and jazz musicians came into contact with the Science Temple and acquired passports. They formed another offshoot of Moorish science, the Moorish Orthodox Church of America. At that early stage, the MOC was seen as partly Moorish and partly Eastern Orthodox, and there existed certain ties with errant bishops, so-called, of the old Catholic Church, Syrian Orthodoxy, etc. Some of these founding members drifted eventually into Sunni Islam, Others remained faithful to the MOC and friendly to the Science Temple. In the early 1960s, on Manhattan's Upper West Side, one of the youngest of these, Walid Al-Taha, or Warren Tartaglia, jazz saxophonist and author of a, a book of poetry called The Hundred Seeds of Beirut, initiated some friends into the church shortly before his tragic death in his early 20s. A new temple was established in a basement on 103rd Street off Broadway, along with a head shop, the crypt, and a Marsh Science reading room. The church maintained an MOC motorcycle club at various neighborhood garages, and a campsite of 123 acres was acquired in Herkimer County in northern New York. Close ties were formed with the Ananda Ashram in upstate New York. They are still around but they're no longer involved with this kind of thing. Members in Baltimore renewed ties with elders and missionaries of the Moorish Science Temple, including the Moorish governor of Maryland, who ran a junk shop which smelled of rose attar and wood stove smoke and talked like a Persian poet from Alabama, an echo, no doubt, of Noble Drew's own perfect Moorish voice. Ties were formed between the MOC and the Moorish Science Temple in Brooklyn, which provided copies of the Circle Seven Koran, catechisms, and other bits of information. When the Ananda Ashram moved into Millbrook, New York, with Timothy Leary's League for Spiritual Discovery commune, the MOC also established a presence there. The MOC is proud of its heritage in the psychedelic churches movement of the 60s when we shared many adventures in Millbrook, till the empire banished its Celtic guru to exile and prison. We still have a temple in Duchess County, where the church is legally incorporated. At that time, the church more or less abandoned all orthodoxy, though not the name, and found its true spirit in Sufism. We adopted the winged heart as our emblem, after learning that each Moorish science temple traditionally designs its own version of the crescent skip a little bit here. Uh, what interested us most was Sufism of various unorthodox varieties including Ismailiism, the teachings of the assassins, but many other strains were woven into the MOC in the 60s including Advaita Vedanta, Tantra, Neo-American style psychedelic mysticism, Native American symbolism, and insurrectionist activism. The 70s and early 80s, in retrospect, seem a rather dim period in church history. Members scattered around the world, and interest waned. The new age bogged down in various greed therapies, guru scams, and bland outs. For a while, only small groups in Manhattan and Dutchess County kept a shadowy existence and continuity. Recently, however, the time has become ripe for a revival. New religions are appearing. Native American rights, neo-paganism, anarcho- Taoism, the Church of the Subgenius, the followers of Eris, and others with whom we feel a natural affinity. We have launched a new edition of our newspaper, the Norrish Science Monitor, quiescent since 1967, and many new conversions have resulted. The sudden upsurge of interest necessitated this revised edition of the MOC pamphlet out of print since the late 60s. <coughs> Excuse me. What is Moorish orthodoxy? What is its catechism? Many people have converted to Moorish orthodoxy simply on hearing its name or seeing the photograph of noble Drew Ali. Later, however, they may wish to learn something of Moorish doctrine. In effect, there is none. Moorish orthodoxy is like a mirror in which each seeker beholds a beloved form, each one different. We have no required ritual and no source of authority other than those the individual imagination provides. We do, however, perhaps share a certain taste or spiritual aesthetic. Moorish orthodoxy was founded originally to explore the esoteric dimensions of noble Gru's teaching, discovered in such passages from the Circle Seven Quran as these, for example. Now cease to seek for heaven in the sky. Just open up the windows of your hearts and, like a flood of light, a heaven will come and bring a boundless joy. By the sweet breath of Allah, all life is bound in one. So if you touch a fiber of a living thing, you send a thrill from center to the outer bounds of life. You are each one a priest just for yourself. Allah and man are one when man has conquered every foe upon the plane of soul the seed will have full opened out will have unfolded in the holy breath the garb of soul will then have served its purpose well and man will need it nevermore and man will then attain unto the blessedness of perfectness and at one with allah i jesus brought immortality to light and painted on the walls of time a rainbow for the sons of men and what i did all men shall do. The antinomian and egalitarian aspects of lines like these have reinforced our position in relation to all organized religion of heresy. In relation to all liberatory teachings and beautiful imaginings, we take up a posture of tolerance and interest, a sort of rootless cosmopolitanism that seeks out universal spirit hidden anywhere and everywhere revealed in all cultures, always occult and dissident, an invisible college embracing East and West but rejecting all official stultifying consensus reality. A Moor might belong to any religion or none, quote, free either to take up a form or not take up a form, not bound by any. Forms are for use, not to make captives, unquote from Hazrat Inayat Khan. The idea of an American heretical Islam is one such form. We appreciate the aesthetic of Moorish science, of Noble Drew's unique and prophetic mixture of Afro-American, Native American, magical, Oriental, and Moorish symbolism and imagery. We admire his courage, his martyrdom, his revolutionary stance against Pharaoh, his, his Americanizing of the prophetic spirit, He always wore a Cherokee feather in his fez. We reflect this aesthetic in our lives and creative work, but we are not bound by it. Like certain esoteric Javanese sects, we reject the figure of the master, guru, or Morshed, in favor of that of the teacher. Anyone can be a teacher in relation to someone. Everyone has something to teach, something to learn. To symbolize this attitude, all Moors are encouraged to create new names and titles for themselves. The Moorish hierarchy is self-appointed. Anyone is free to print passports. And then uh, follow some details of that. Let me get to the, I'll skip to the conclusion. The Moorish Orthodox catechism then consists of no rules or dogmas, but only of adherence to the so-called five pillars of Moorish science as listed by Noble Drew, love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice, to which we add a sixth, beauty. And then there are two poems with which it ends. The first is by Hafez of Shiraz. The bud opens into a red rose. The nightingale is drunk for joy. Hail, seekers, lovers
0: of wine, wine for a thirsty world like a slug.